Well, good morning, everyone. If you're new and visiting us this morning, my name's Brendan. I'm one of the pastoral interns here at Sovereign Grace, and um, a warm welcome on behalf of the leadership team at church. We love visitors, and so thank you so much for coming to visit us. Uh, our prayer is that you would feel at home here. We have, as Mark explained, information out the back. We'd love to get to know you and, and chat with you, so a big warm welcome. We are just about to start, uh, well, we are starting a new series um, today. It's a five-part series uh, on spiritual gifts called For the Common Good. And uh, we're going to be doing this week on the Holy Spirit itself. Next week we'll be looking at spiritual gifts in general. And we'll be looking at prophecy, healing, and pursuit and dangers in pursuing gifts. Um, so it's a really exciting series um, I'm really excited to um, be bringing this message. Just to draw a few things to your attention, I think one of the things we want to do as leaders in this church is point you in the direction of good books. And um, please excuse the title of this book and the cover, the daggy cover of this book. This is a great book. It's called Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. Um, I was affected uh, reading this book. This book in my life just really, once again, stirred up in me just a love for Jesus and a love for God, our, our God three in one. Delighting in the Trinity, Michael Reeves, I think we've got a back order on these. We're hoping to get more in the bookshop. Um, they're going for 15 bucks. Get your hands on one of these. Um, this, by the way, is also a, a big picture message that we're going to do. I'm I, um, trying to through a broad stroke picture of, of the Holy Spirit. But I guess you might be wondering as you sit here this morning, well, why, why would we do a series on, on the Holy Spirit and, and gifts, spiritual gifts? And I guess in this church we have two histories, two different groups of people that have found a home with us. On, on one hand we have the Pentecostals amongst us. Um, <laughs> Those that are secretly, uh, secretly, <laughs> secretly, you know, keeping your banners and your whistles and your tambourines and you're waiting for the, the, the go-ahead to come down the front and dance and, and carry on. You know who you are. You've heard Alex already. Bianca, where is she? Hiding away. Um, but then there's another group of folks here that are from a conservative evangelical background. That's my story. Yeah. Thanks, Ella. Love it. And uh, I, I grew up in a congregational church and then uh, moved across to an Anglican church. And um, for me, you know, raising my hands in worship was like a big deal. Like, it was like, it took so long for me to just, I, I got to about chest level and um, you're looking around and you, there's a pockets and option there just in case. I just hands in my pockets. Um, you know who you are, and, um, and that's been my story. And it's almost like when it comes to talking about the Holy Spirit or spiritual gifts, or it's almost like you're talking about something dirty. It's almost like it's inappropriate. It's like Holy Spirit's mentioned, and you get nervous. And I guess we've got these two different histories in our church, but we don't want to be a church that's driven by cultures and cultural history. We want to be biblical. You know, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12.1, he says, in regards to spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And in the same way, we want to see what the Bible has to say about spiritual gifts. And so that's the heart behind this, this series. Um, but as a way of confession, um, when it's come to preparing this message on the Holy Spirit, I, this week I've been so anxious and and. It's been a hard message for me to prepare and 
and, and I've been worried, worried about being impressive, worried about being clear, worried about all these different things. It's almost ironic. It's a, it's a message on the Holy Spirit. I mean, we have a God who speaks. And um, so I want you to join with me um, in praying. Um, but before we do that, I want to, to start this message with reading from God's Word. This is a topical message. We're looking at the broad scope of what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit, but um, we do want to ground it in uh, Scripture as well. And um, so one of the, the passages we'll be looking at today is Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to be reading from uh, verse 8 through to 13. Romans chapter 8. Verse 8 through to 13. Paul writes, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers... We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Why don't you join with me in praying? Our Lord, gracious God, come before you this morning. We come before you this morning in desperate need, Lord. We need your help. We need your help to rightly understand who you are. To rightly understand who you have revealed yourself to be. Lord, would you move us to love you more today by the power of your Spirit. Would you speak your word to us clearly that we might fall in love with you all over again this morning. And we pray this in the precious name of our Lord and Saviour Jesus. Amen. Well, I've titled this message this morning, uh, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And you know, as I've sort of alluded to already this morning, I'm not going to be able to cover all there is to say I'm trying, to, I'm trying to paint with a broad brush. You know, this is the, this is the, the paint roller of brushes this morning um, as we look at the, the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and there's just two points that really I want to cover this morning. The first point is, for those who are taking notes, who he is. Spend a bit of time there looking at who he is. And the second point, what he does. The, the work of the Holy Spirit. But there is just one hope uh, that I really have, and I've been praying about this week for this message, and that is that, 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 that God would stir up in you a love for him. That, that he would stir.
stir up in you. I just love for him. You know, all this message, we're looking at spiritual gifts, but I think we would have failed in preaching if you leave this series more excited about spiritual gifts than you are about the Saviour, our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and my real hope for this message and our hope for this series is that, that God would, would show you a bit about the way in which he works, um, but you just might love him more as a result. And um, so that's, that's my heart. But point one, let's get stuck in who he is. I want to start looking at this a little from left field. Um, start by looking at God and his name specifically. Um, in the beginning we read in the Bible that God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates everything in them. And in Genesis 12 he appears to this pagan idol worshipper, Abraham. And he speaks to Abraham and he says, Abraham... I'm going to make you into, a, into a, a, a great nation. Even in your old age, a great nation. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Skip forward in the Bible a bit more and, and God has answered that prayer for a great nation, but the nation is in slavery in Egypt. And, and the question still remains, who is this God? Who is this God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Who is he? And God speaks to this man Moses and he says in Exodus 3, 13, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. You God speaks to Moses, this guy who was a murderer, who was in hiding and says, Go and lead out my people. And Moses says, but what's your name? What shall I I say to the people? Who are you? And God says, my name is Yahweh. I am. And tell them I am has sent you. I am the God who is. So God reveals himself to Moses as the God who is. But we still don't know much about his nature about what he's truly like until Jesus. Until Jesus comes and in John 1.14, John writes, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus reveals Yahweh to be a father. He reveals that the God who is, is a father. Michael Reeves puts it this way. He says, just the fact that Jesus is the son really says it all. Being a son means he has a father. The God he reveals is first and foremost a father. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he says. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is God 
is who God has revealed himself to be. Is not first and foremost creator or ruler, but father. God is a father. Jesus himself says this. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, our God was a father loving his son. A father, a loving father with a son. I mean, this is amazing, amazing truth that God eternally is a father who loves a son. I mean, and we must be so careful when we think about God as being a father, not to project the failures of our fathers onto God. No, we look to God to see what true fathers are like and our fathers are at best just dim reflections of our gracious father. No, when we think about God as father, we, we, we should be thinking about fathers like, like this man here, Simon Wood. You know, Simon, how many kids do you have? It's like 20. And whenever I look at you, brother, I just see like there's a kid hanging off you somewhere. And, 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 but one thing that if you know Simon, uh, you'll know about this brother is he's a guy that loves his kids. And time and time again, I've just seen him kneeling down with one of his children and just speaking softly to them. You know, when I think about Simon and, um, and his son Ben I mean, and their friendship, you know, if the Lord would be kind enough to me in the future to be a father, I would love to be friends with my son like this man Simon is with his. That is a picture of our father, the true father in heaven. A father who loves his children. Isn't that amazing? That God is a father. Well, you might be sitting here thinking, I thought, Brendan, this was a message on the Holy Spirit. What does this have to do with the Spirit? I think it's in light of this that we can understand the Spirit. And to explain this a bit more, I want I want to read you from Uh, Matthew's Gospel from Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. And the writer writes, and he's talking about when John the Baptist baptised Jesus. He says, And when Jesus was baptised, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So we have this picture of the heavens opening, the Spirit of God coming down, descending on the Son, and as it rests on his head, the voice of the Father says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Because this, friends, is how the Father makes known his love for his son through giving the Spirit. The Spirit, his Spirit stirs up in the Father his love for his son and his Spirit stirs up in his son love for his Father. It's the Spirit, it's the fellowship of the Spirit in our beautiful triune God. Three persons Father, loving Son, and Spirit uniting them together in a fellowship of the Holy Spirit. 
God has revealed his name to be Father, Son and Holy Spirit. God is a father eternally loving his son through the Holy Spirit. And with this in mind, we can, I think, narrow our gaze a little bit to look at the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, in original languages, in New Testament Greek, the word is pneuma. In Hebrew, it's ruach. And the the meanings are kind of similar. They both mean wind or breath uh, or spirit. But don't, don't mishear me when, I, when we talk about God as being spirit. Don't think impersonal force. We, we mustn't think impersonal force. I think sometimes as Christians, we, we, we treat the Holy Spirit a little bit like the force in Star Wars. Um, I think Obi-Wan Kenobi sums it up quite well. He says, the force is what gives a Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. I think we let this way of thinking, treating the Holy Spirit as a force, and we almost have this the force way of speaking about it. You know, we can, we can say things like, the Spirit is strong in this one. You know, it's almost it's like this impersonal force, you know, is, is, is working within this within this person's life or within people's life, but this is not it. He's a person. The Bible is full of personal language about the Holy Spirit. He grieves. Ephesians 4.20, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He, he intercedes. Romans 28.26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings, too deep for words. He, he speaks and sends. Acts 13.2 He can be tested and lied to. But Peter said, said Ananias, Acts 5.3 Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? He can be resisted. Stephen, in Acts chapter 7.51 he says, he says, you stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as did your fathers. He can be blasphemed. He chooses. He teaches. He creates. He has a mind. He testifies and he gives. The point is this. The Spirit is fully God yet also he's a person. You know, we're going to spend the whole rest of this message unpacking this point, but I just want to give a few quick points on why this matters. You know, firstly, it matters because God doesn't wear three different hats. It's not that our God sometimes is wearing the Holy Spirit hat, but other times is wearing the Son hat or the Father hat, but it's just one God. Just changes it up a little bit. No, no, no. Our Bible teaches three persons. But... It's not just three different persons and three different gods. No, the Bible teaches three persons, one God. The message of Scripture is one plus one plus one equals one. It's a profound mystery, but it's the truth of Scripture. And because of this, when we think about the Holy Spirit working, we must also know that that, at the same time the Father and the Son are working. 
When the Father is working, the Holy Spirit and the Son are working. All three persons, one God in perfect unity. The Holy Spirit is both God and a unique person of the Trinity, who he is. Well, point to what he does. We've seen now how I think the Spirit stirs up love for the other in the Trinity. And I want us to see now how some of this overflows into what the Spirit does in the world, his work in the world. And I've, I've worked at really trying to condense this down into a sentence. And the sentence is, he convicts the world and gives life to a people to enjoy God forever. He convicts the world and gives life to a people to enjoy God forever. Well, he convicts the world. John 16, verse 7. And this is Jesus writing in the upper room. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Isn't that amazing? It's to your advantage. It's better that I leave you, he says. Because this helper is going to come. Read on. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus says, it's better for you that I go because I'm sending the Spirit. And when he comes, he will convict the whole world. And when Jesus talks about convicting the world, he he doesn't mean necessarily conviction that leads to faith and repentance in him. He means conviction in the sense of being exposed. Exposed for what the world is. And he exposed in three different areas, convicted in three different areas in regards to sin, in regards to righteousness and in regards to judgment. I just wanted to read a, a quote from J.R. Packer that I think explains how this happens. And I've shared with uh, you guys this quote before, but it's so good, I think I want to share it all over again. And J.R. Packer, he writes on how this happens. I remember walking to a church one winter evening to preach on the words, He shall glorify me seeing the building floodlit as I turned a corner and realising this was exactly the illustration my message needed. When floodlighting is done well, the floodlights are so placed that you do not see them. You are not, in fact, supposed to see where the light is coming from. What you are meant to see is just the building on which the floodlights are trained. The intended effect is to make it visible when otherwise it would not be seen for the darkness and to maximise its dignity by throwing all its details into relief so that you see it properly. This perfectly illustrates the Spirit's new covenant role. He is, so to speak, the hidden floodlight shining on the Saviour. 
This is the way the Spirit works to bring conviction to the world. He shines on Christ. You know, sin. He shines on Christ and you see him. The beautiful son who laid down his life for us, spotless and pure. And conviction washes over you because next to him, woe is me. You know, of righteousness. It shines on Christ and you see he's the only one who's truly right and we've rejected him and, and he is truly righteous. You know, in, in regards to judgment, it shines on him and you see how the world has rejected the spotless lamb, the saviour and judgment because he's so beautiful seems inevitable because he's been spies and crucified and now he's risen. The role of the Spirit is to floodlight, to spotlight Christ. Well, I I just feel like, you know, this has been the story of my life. I mean, I'm sure many of you can think of times in which you've experienced that conviction of the Holy Spirit. I I remember one uh, fairly recent example when, a brother from this church came to me and uh, confessed to me that he, he struggled with the, the sin of lying. And he said, look, Brendan, you know, I just want to share with you that remember how we had this conversation the other day about this and this? That was a lie. And I've just felt so convicted. I just want to say, you know, uh, I was doing that to impress you and, and, and uh, would you forgive me? And I was blown out of the water by that because I am someone who struggles with lying. You know, you can call it exaggeration and and some aspects of it are so pathetic. You know, when I was studying at college, I used to be, because I cared so much about what people think of me, um, so wanting to, to... to make people think that I'm the successful ministry guy, you know, with a big church, that I would frequently exaggerate, you no know, lie about the number of people attending this church. That'd be impressive. And when this brother came and shared with me about his own struggle with lying, I was immediately convicted. Because it's like I immediately, through the Spirit, just saw the beautiful Saviour who's spotless and pure, working in this brother's life and thought, why was me? I need to change. That is the role of the Spirit. He brings conviction. Um, The Spirit shines on Christ and the world, everyone, is convicted. Well, he convicts the world and gives life. That's the second thing. We've seen that God has revealed himself as a father who eternally loves and delights in his son through the spirit and, and a son who eternally delights and del- loves and delights in his father through the spirit. And because our God is a father who loves a son, a father, because his essence is as a father, he, he just loves to create because that's what fathers do. They create and nurture. And because his love is 
for others, for his son, and his son is love for the Father. That overflows into wanting people to experience his love. And so in the beginning, God creates, not because he needs to create, but because he, he loves to love others. It's his nature. He's a father. And so in Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovers over the face of the waters. The Spirit, God's Spirit, in the very beginning, hovering over the waters, giving life. We read on next chapter in Genesis 2.7, it says, Then the Lord formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. God breathed breath into the man's nostrils. He was created out of the dust. He was a lifeless being, and God breathes breath. Spirit, he breathes. His spirit, he puts into the man, and the man comes to life. The spirit is giving life. In Genesis 3 we see though, man, man rejects God and suddenly on the earth, death reigns. Man places, God places man in the garden and says, anything you want you can have and eat. But do not eat of this fruit, of this tree. But man, rather than the other person-centred love that he had in the beginning chooses to believe the lie of Satan that he could become like God and instead turns from loving God to loving himself and death reigns. Love of self reigns. And that's just like my lying, isn't it? You know? when I'm exaggerating to people, when I'm telling lies, when I'm trying to impress people by making myself seem like more, I'm not loving God and others, I'm loving myself. It's self-focused love. But God doesn't leave us wallowing in our pitiful self-love. No, he, no, he doesn't. He comes after us. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so sin spread to all men because all have sinned. So just as sin came into the world it spread and death reigned and all are physically dying. You know, a reflection of their inner death in bondage to sin, in bondage to love of self, not able to, to choose the things of God. Death reigning, but God the Father who loves His Son, eternally loves His Son and wants to fold others into His love, doesn't leave it. No, He doesn't. The triune God is not satisfied with our deaths. He sends His Son. He sends His Son into the world to die in our place, the death we deserved, 
So that just as through one man death came and reigned, now through one man God, God man, his eternal son, life might reign. And the light of the Spirit now fills our hearts so that we can see Christ spiritually alive. Read with me again in your Bibles, Romans chapter 8 from verse 8. I want to read the whole thing, it's so good. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, Hear this again. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Once dead in our sins, now alive through his spirit. The same spirit who breathed life into a dead saviour now dwells in us. That same spirit given life to us as believers. Physically we're dying, but spiritually we are alive because of Christ. You know, spiritually we were dead in bondage to our own desires, just choosing to do whatever we wanted to do, not able to even choose to look at Christ, but now we're alive because of the Spirit. But if the spirit of him, verse 11, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Who dwells in you. He says it twice. Not sometimes dwells or will dwell and then will leave. No, permanently dwells in you. Permanently dwells. That same spirit. This is union with Christ. This is a permanent change in you. This is not some life-giving force that has come into your life. No, this is God giving you his very self permanently into your life. That's, that's amazing. The love of the Father for the Son now is permanently within you in the person of His Spirit. For well, the Spirit convicts the world and gives life to those who are dead, but He convicts the world and gives life to, not to just people, individual people that is, but to our people. His people. And he does this in two ways. Firstly, he sanctifies his people. 
The word sanctified, sanctified means to be made holy or to be set apart. And there's a positional sense of this word. You know, in Scripture, there's a sense in which we are sanctified already because of his work. We're the holy ones. That's what saints mean. Means in Scripture, holy ones. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. A positional sense, you've been washed clean already. But also a progressive sense in which we gradually change to be more like Christ. In Romans uh, 8.13, which we read at the very start, it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Christian is someone who, through the work of the Spirit, is being changed, is having the the works of the flesh, sinful aspects of your life, put to death by the Spirit. And so it's not that the Christian life is like a rowboat where we have to row and row and row and row in order to change, you know, rowing and powering and moving. No, the Christian life is much more like a sailboat. And on a sailboat, there's things to do, there's plenty to do. You, know, you put the sail up or something and, you know, you pull the rigging. I'm not a sailor. Um, but what powers a sailboat? It's the breeze. It's the wind. And that's just like us. We've got plenty to do. But it's the Spirit who pushes us along, who changes us. Well, how does it work? When 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul writes this, he says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's just like Moses who had his, or not like Moses who had his face veiled because he, he looked at God and suddenly glowed. No, now we look face to face with Christ through the Spirit. The Spirit spotlights Christ the Lord and with unveiled face we're transformed into his image from one degree to the next. It's through that spotlighting, that floodlighting work of the Holy Spirit. We see him and suddenly our hearts are moved to change. As the Spirit shines on Christ, we behold his face and we're changed. Well, he sanctifies the people but he also equips his people. 1 Corinthians 12. Paul writes, Now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. 
and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptised into one body, Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. You know, we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at First uh, Corinthians 12, chapter 12, 3 to 14, but I just wanted to make a few kind of quick points. You know, our unity in diversity reflects our God. Our God is not just one thing altogether. He's not just Father. He's three persons in one, perfectly unified, but diverse. And so are we together as a body. You know, if you're, if you're sitting there as a Christian, the scripture says that everyone receives spiritual gifts. Not some, we all do. But our gifts are not the same because we're a body. And a body has many parts. And sometimes the bits that you can't even see are the most precious. Like I work in a hospital in the heart, you can't even see someone's heart. But yet if you didn't have one, you'd be in trouble. And so if you're struggling to believe that you're someone who the Spirit is working in, you're a Christian, you have, you have spiritual gifts, don't be discouraged. But your gifts are not the same as everyone else. Because we're a body. Diverse but unified, just like our God. Well, the Holy Spirit gives life to a people by setting them apart and building them together as a body with many parts. Well, he convicts the world, gives life to a people to enjoy God forever. My last point. He's not just building a people for the sake of it, but it's for enjoying him. Well, we've been looking at how the Spirit floodlights Christ. It just shines on him and suddenly you can see him. Another way of talking about this is it glorifies Christ. It glorifies Jesus. And the word glory, the word glorify, all those words, it comes from a Hebrew word which means weight. It means heaviness. Because back in the day, you know, people used to have treasure and they used to carry their treasure around like physically, not on credit cards. Um, and so someone's worth and significance would be, would be assessed by the weight of their treasures, how much stuff they had. And so someone who's glorious, someone who's, who's worth a lot is extremely heavy because they have all this treasure. And so when we speak about the glory of Jesus Christ, we're talking about his worth, his splendor, his weightiness, the weight of his treasures, the weight of his value. We're talking about how precious he is, how worthy of our glory he is. That's the glory of Jesus Christ. And when the Spirit floodlights him and when we see him, we glorify him because we see how, how infinitely valuable, how infinitely weighty he is. Well, there's two implications, I think, of this. The first one is obvious. The Spirit glorifies Christ. 
You know, we can resist the Spirit. We can, in fact, we can grieve and ignore the Spirit. But we can never have too much of Christ. And we can never make too much of Him. You know, J.I. Packer puts it this way. He says, The Spirit's message to us is never, Look at me. Listen to me. Come to me. Get to know me. But always, Look at him and see his glory. Listen to him and hear his word. Go to him and have life. Get to know him and taste his gift of joy and peace. We can never have too much of Christ because the role of the Spirit is to point us to him. First point, Spirit glorifies Christ. Secondly, the Spirit glorifies Christ through the word. You know, I, I know what people mean when they say, they say they're all about the word and not about the spirit. I know what people mean. They mean that a church or a group of people is lifeless, is faithless, is dry, is joyless, is prayerless. But we can never play off word and spirit. No, we can't because they're joined together. You know, Peter says this in, in his second letter. He says in 2 Peter 1.19, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as a lamp shining, hear that, in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No, it doesn't. But no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You know, we cannot play off word and spirit because this word is a word about Christ written by the Holy Spirit. It's his word. The Spirit shines on Christ and glorifies him. Well, as a Christian, I think to see him and to glorify him is to enjoy him. Let me just, I just want you to, and, and this verse, it's just, to me, it just speaks so powerfully. I want you to turn here to Hebrews 12, and I want to read from verse 1. The book of Hebrews 12, from verse 1. I just want you to hear this. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus. The founder and and perfecter of our faith 
who for the joy. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You can't read that and not be affected by it. The Spirit shines and you, you see him. Jesus Christ, it shines on him. The God, the eternal Son of God, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Who was so enamoured with other people, not considering equality with God, a thing to be grasped, who made himself nothing. The Spirit shines and you see him for the joy. And it's can't but just enjoy him, be moved by him. You know, the Westminster Confession says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's, it's not that we it's not that we, you know, sometimes glorify him and sometimes enjoy him. It's it's to glorify him and to enjoy him are one and the same because when we see him when, when we glorify him, we're enjoying him. And uh, this week, uh, I just, speaking with a brother, Will Turner, and I got his permission to share this with you. Just a beautiful example of that spirit working in someone's life, you know. And um, Will was sharing with me this week about um, how in his struggle with mental illness, he found himself uh, deeply ill in hospital. And he's in hospital and he's, he's having these thoughts that are just deeply distressing and, and he's just coming to grips with the fact that he is unwell. And sitting there in his room, he suddenly found himself overcome with a deep, in Will's words, gratitude. Gratitude. As he considered that his Saviour would die for him. It's the work of the Spirit. You see him, you glorify him enjoy him. And, and isn't that just the story of all of our lives, you know? I, some of my most memorable experiences have been just glorifying him, even just right here in this church with these people here. You know, just even this morning, singing praises to Jesus. I mean, you see him and you just enjoy him and all that stuff going on in your life, it just doesn't matter because you see him and you just want to make much of him. And this is the God who delights in us enjoying him, you know, who made us for this purpose. We're back to where we started, that our God is a father who eternally delights in his son through his spirit and made us that we might enjoy some of his love. And his spirit comes and it convicts the world and gives life to a people so that we might 
enjoy our God forever. And the thing is, is that now he's here. That same spirit is here. That same spirit who hovered over the waters is here. That same spirit who who was in the cloud leading the people of God in the Exodus out of Egypt is here. That same spirit who came upon judges in the Old Testament is here. The same spirit who came upon prophets and priests is here, who came upon kings, who rested upon Christ, who rested upon and came and dwelt in the the apostles and Paul and who were filled with boldness and preached his gospel is here and permanently dwells in us. I mean, isn't that amazing? You know, and he longs to draw people into his love. You know, if we burn for this city, if we think, oh Lord, save this city, like do something amazing. It comes from him who's working in our hearts. You know, he, he says to his people, ask. You know, he says, Jesus himself says in Luke's gospel, in Luke's chapter 11, when he's talking to his disciples about praying, he says, you know, which of you, if, if, your, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a serpent? Or which of you, if your, if your son asks you for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And you're evil. How much more will your father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? You know, would we ask that the Lord would turn this whole nation into repentance? It would be a small thing for our God. Well, in closing, who he is. He's not a force. He's both God and a unique person of the Trinity. What he does, he convicts the world and gives life to a people to enjoy him forever. Now, just as I pray, I just want to address anyone who's sitting here who's never tasted the Spirit simply because you've not asked him, you've not asked the Lord Jesus to be your Saviour and King. You know, the message of Scripture is repent, say sorry for the wrong things you've done and believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and you will be saved and you will enjoy the work of the Spirit in your life. I would love for anyone who's never publicly asked the Lord to be their king to to just come down after the service and and speak with me. Speak with any of the leaders on the back of your board and speak with someone. There's nothing that would bring me greater joy than to pray with you. But for the rest of us, in fact for all of us, why don't we join Uh, Why don't you join with me in praying and asking the Lord for his help and thanking him for who he is. Oh Lord, majestic, glorious, beautiful God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 
perfect in love and grace, abounding in mercy and kindness. Beautiful Lord and Saviour. Lord, we love you and we long to love you more. And Lord, would you move in our hearts, Lord. Would you move in our hearts and help us to see Christ more clearly. Lord, we want to see the one who for the joy, who set before him endured the cross, Lord. We want to see him, Lord. Lord, by your spirit, would you move us to see the love that you have for your son, that we might be filled with boldness, Lord. Filled with joy, Lord. Filled with peace, Lord. We've got so many friends and family who don't know you, Lord. And you're mighty to change, Lord. Would you move us to ask you in prayer for your spirit to come and convict, Lord. Would you move us to to come to you in prayer, Lord, and ask you to move powerfully in the lives of our friends, Lord. Would you increase us, Lord, in in a humble joy in knowing you as our Lord and King. And Lord, would you be glorified, would you be lifted up, would we treasure you, our King, in this place, Praise in your name.